This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New International Version today. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Our lives can be so fragmented, disrupted, torn apart and splintered. We can be so out of sync with the deepest parts of who we are and what we really long for. But there's truth that centers us, aligns us, and connects us in ways that we don't expect. The words of Jesus, truth and life. In him we find a new way to be human, a new way to live. Sync. doing? Um, It's hard being human, isn't it? And it's good to know that Jesus was human. It was hard. And um, one of the things that we have to ask, I think it's really good to ask, is, is Jesus the smartest person ever? And um, I I love that question, and it comes out of this book that my wife just made a comment that it's sure a lot of markers in that book, and this is called The Divine Conspiracy. It's a book that probably, outside of the Bible, has had the most influence on my life, and I feel very indebted to it, and I have, I don't know how many bookmarks in it, how many highlighted places and underlined places, and I've recommended it to people, and they've come back to me and said, how did you ever get through it? You know, but to me, it was just life at the time. I read this about 20 years ago, and uh, it's 400 pages of just wisdom and life. And one of the questions, I can't remember what page it's on, but you know how you, when you really know a book, I can kind of see it there on the page. And he asked that question, is Jesus the smartest man ever? I mean, smarter than, I don't know, Einstein or Newton or Freud. Or Oprah, for heaven's sake. Yeah, or, or you. Because that's really the question. Is he smarter than you? And uh, Willard makes a case that if he is not smarter than you, then you should just ignore what he says. Really. I, I would say the same thing. I mean, does Jesus know more about God, life, the things that matter than anyone else? And if he does, you better listen to him. And if he doesn't, you're free to not, you know... Whatever. There's a football game on right now somewhere, I'm sure. But uh, the things that Jesus said are 
Uh, we're in this series called Sync, and if we're going to align ourselves with his words, we need to be sure that what he says comes from that place of great wisdom and authority, and we can trust him. It's a tough sell. Love your enemies. I mean, there's a lot of things I could say, or Jesus could have said, that are a lot easier to do, a lot easier to uh, promote. I want you to think right now about who your enemies are. And we'll come back to that question. But uh, we all have them. And we're going to go through this passage of Scripture with a little bit of an outline here. What is Jesus saying? How do we miss it? And how do we do it? And um, we'll start with what Jesus says in regard to loving your enemies. But before we read that section, I want to give you the context for that section, which is in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. We just read 27 through uh, 38. So this is right before that. And it's Luke's version of the Beatitudes. So Matthew gives us the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount as an introduction. And you'll, you'll hear some of the uh, echoes from, from Matthew. But it's, Luke gives us a shorter version of, kind of a Cliff Notes version of the Beatitudes. So, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. It's about weakness. Uh, blessed are you if, if there's weakness in your life. Blessed are you if you hunger now and you make sacrifices. Blessed are you if you weep now, if you're grieving. Blessed are you if you are excluded or insulted. To be excluded, how does that feel? Jesus says you're blessed. So it, he's turning the world upside down. And if you don't get that, you'll never understand why he says to love your enemies because that's not the norm. And then he says, woe to those who are in power. So he's blessing to the weak, but woe to those who are in power. He inverts this, or he goes to the other side of this. Woe to those who are seeking comfort and are well-fed now. Woe to you who are gloating now in your success. Gloating in your success. And uh, woe to you who are uh, into recognition and reputation. What does your reputation mean to you? I mean, because Jesus says, if your reputation gets destroyed, you're blessed. And, you know, pride comes into reputation. We'll get into this. But this is the background for the words of Jesus when he says to love your enemies. So Jesus says, but I tell you, uh, hear me, love your enemies. And Willard gives us a great, I think, quote here about enemies. Few of us manage to go through life without collecting a group of individuals who would not be so sorry to, to learn that we have died. Isn't that sad? But isn't it true? And that was true for Jesus. A lot of people were happy on that Friday when he died. And you don't, as a, if you're a leader, if you're in any kind of leadership position, I just go on the assumption that someone is always mad at me. You know, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a leader, uh, what, I mean, it's just it, it's hard to, to not have enemies. I want you to think about 
allow the Holy Spirit to ask that question of your heart. Who are your enemies right now? And sometimes they come and go. And we just celebrated uh, 39 years. Actually, yesterday was our anniversary, 39 years. Yeah. We celebrated it with a taco bar and a dunk tank over here. It's great. Yeah, and um, but in 39 years of marriage, hey, there's been times where she's my enemy, and I'm her enemy. This is the way it is, folks. If you're considering getting married, that's part of the deal. Now you don't, you know, you renew and you, you know, you come together, you, you say you're sorry and you forgive, and you. Most of the time, it's been great. But to be honest, you know, there've been times where what Jesus says here, you're, he uses the word hatred, which is strong. That's, that's, but you feel this thing that's other than love in your heart towards your spouse. And you are at least tempted to mistreat them, which is how Jesus talks about enemies. But in general, he's talking about the other people, the them in our lives who hate us and who want to do us harm. And um, he gives us three uh, example or th- two, three specific things to do. To do good, first of all, to do good to them. That would, that's what it means to love your enemy, is to do good. Do something good for them. You can figure out what that might be. We'll, we'll get into some a little, a little bit. And you can bless them. So doing good and blessing are very similar. And you can also pray for them. And here's something that I just heard another testimony on this this week, that um, somebody who had an enemy in their life, and they prayed for them, and there was just this... Um, dissolving of the anger and hatred in their heart as they prayed for them. So uh, I've, I've heard that and experienced that myself. So to do good, to bless, and to pray is what Jesus says. All good until he gets to these specific examples. And this is where the plot thickens. He says, you know, if somebody strikes you on your cheek, what do you do? You turn the other cheek and you let them strike that one as well. So let's just take that one first. There's three of these, but that's the first one. That's probably the most famous of the three. Turn your other cheek. And be clear on this, and commentators are, go out of their way to make this point, that he's, we're not talking about being a nonviolent person here. Uh, that's a whole another deal. We're talking about being able to absorb insults where your ego is on the line and not retaliating. And it could, your retaliation could be in a form of violence or it could be in the form of gossip or it could be, you know, whatever. But it's not just about, this isn't an anti-war statement, in other words. Although, you might say, well, you're, you're just narrowing it down too much and it really has all kinds of applications. But listen, it, when you bruise someone's ego, is there anything deeper and bigger in this world than a bruised ego? And isn't that really the cause of most wars and conflict and, and physical violence? I mean, it really is. So that's huge. To turn the other cheek is to say, I am not going to do what normally happens. Remember, the Beatitudes here, we're going to go a different way. We're talking about a different kind of life, a different set of values that's inverted or reversed from what the, the norms are in our culture. And I'm not going to strike back. I'm just not. Because I'm the kind of person that is being shaped by the kingdom. So there's the first one. And... Um, The second one is if somebody takes your coat, then you give them your shirt as well. I mean, and there's a generosity factor in there, but there's also this thing, if you don't have your coat on and you don't have your shirt on in that culture, guess what? 
You don't have anything on. And there's shame in being naked. Now let's just do two, two things so far. Remember the teacher here, is Jesus smart or not? I mean, I don't know at this point if that's all we have to go on. But here's, here's some credibility for him. That when we look at Jesus on the cross, he has turned the other cheek. If you can look at the cross that way, and he is naked. And he has been insulted. And he has been shamed. And he has been generous. And that's the third point is that uh, Jesus says is that if somebody asks you, you actually surprise them with your generosity when they ask you for something. You give them more than they're asking for. So you see the, the inversion here. The, 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 what are the Beatitudes are, are saying in a big way, these three examples, which are hard for us to get our minds around, they're very concrete, uh, are, are a real challenge to us. And um, the whole thing, this section at least, ends with what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But in order to test whether Jesus is smart or not, or smarter than we are anyway, let's ask some really real-world questions here. And the first, the one I would ask is, because it's in the text, and if, if Jesus were here, I would say, well, what does it mean to do good to somebody? Do good to somebody. And did you always give, Jesus, did you always give people what they wanted? Because it looks like in the text here, that's what you're saying. You give people what they want and more. But there are times in the scriptures where Jesus doesn't give people what they want. Because what they want is really bad. I won't go into the examples, but if you want to, we can talk about that later. And what does it mean to really love somebody? And where does wisdom come in? That's a biblical uh, you know, whole, whole way of thinking about life and being wise. And Jesus teaches on that as well. So how do we wrestle with this? And just to make the plot a little thicker, I want to read to you something here. We belong to a... Uh, uh, a group of, of uh, churches that uh, have a kind of a clearinghouse for needs as they come up, as people come to our, um, they come to churches for help, and that's a good thing. But you don't always know who to help, and you only have so much resources, and we want to have some wisdom. This is the wisdom side. So the person who leads this network uh, is a wonderful, uh, I have so much <laughs> appreciation for her. And she wrote an email, and I'm going to just read part of this email to you in regard to a man that she has uh, tried to help over the 26 years that she has known him. 26 years. And here's what she says to churches in the area. The most telling thing about this man is his significant attitude of entitlement based upon his belief that he deserves help because he is a good person and that churches are wealthy, that this area is wealthy, and that since he has done so much for so many in his lifetime, it is reasonable that people should believe him, help him, and make exceptions to established policies because we should be able to see what a deserving person he is. These assumptions are all expressed in a quiet, polite, calm, yet very manipulative manner, which consumes so much time but I am sure some churches have just relented just to get this man out of the building. True, it's true. I mean, she's not exaggerating there, I'll tell you. He is rarely rude and never truly demanding, but immensely manipulative. If you give him the time and attention, he will make it nearly impossible to say no. 
Now, so you, you see that I'm, I'm creating, I'm hopefully creating some tension here in regard to the real world versus what Jesus says. And can we answer the question, is Jesus really smart? Does he really know what he's talking about when it comes to the real world that we have to live in? And uh, we, let's, let's just, for the sake of, of uh, remembering the, the core, the crux of what Jesus is saying, let's go back and here it is. Love your enemies, do good, bless, pray for them, and don't retaliate. When you're insulted, don't, don't fire back out of your ego, out of your bruised ego. Be willing to be shamed and be generous. I mean, that's, that's the stuff we can hang on to that Jesus says that makes sense. It's when we get into these specific little categories that he gives that, you know, we, we want to ask these questions. Okay, so let's go. Uh, I'm going to try to give us a little bit more here and look at some of the ways that we miss it, and maybe this will help. And I'm going to give you two examples uh, of, of ways that we actually, you might get it. And uh, the first way we miss it is to dismiss Jesus' words based on kind of what I've already suggested here, that you can dismiss it. I mean, those are nice words, but they're not for the real world. They're great if you have like a, a coffee table with a devotional on it. Those words are really great there, you know. But in the real world, by the way, have you looked in your mailbox lately? At these things, uh, the, you know, the real. I mean, wouldn't you rather read what Jesus says than some of the stuff that just is just vitriol of stuff from one political person to the other? Don't look in your mailbox. I don't. I don't recommend it. But that's every day. There's something in there. Okay. So, I remember I had a. We had a woman in our church um, in in Alaska, and she wanted to run for the state house and she came to me which I thought oh that's kind of cool she's coming to her pastor to see yeah for, I mean, you never know what, but she wanted at least me to pray for her and I did that but I remember going to the script or the, the, the words of Jesus here about loving your enemies I said are you going to be able to love your enemies there because that's really what that place is all about enemies can you can you really love them she said oh yeah yeah I can do that and she said, you know, I think I have three friends who are Democrats or something like that. You know, I, I can do that. You know, whatever. Do you know that she is known as the cutthroat of Juno? Honestly. She has, she has alienated most of her own party from herself. And um, hopefully she's not listening to this online. <laughs> ah. I, always, I always get fearful about that anymore. Hmm. Cut that part out. <laughs> The political world is the, is the real world. Uh, and Jesus' words just don't work there. That's, that you can make that argument. We can miss it in that way. It's really, it really is difficult. We can also uh, over-literalize Jesus' words. And some of us tend to be more uh, legal in the way we, we think. And I, one of our sons was, was always, he would over-literalize something in order to not have to do something. And it was, you know, it was kind of a game we played with him. But, but here, let me give you an example of what that might look like here. Well, uh, it's actually been said before that, oh yeah, I will turn the other cheek, but then I'm going to knock you on the head. Okay? 
that, that's, I mean, there's no change of heart here, and there's really not a change of behavior either. But it's sort of formally going through the motions, or, yeah, you, but hit me in the stomach, and then we'll see what's going to happen. Or uh, in relationship to taking your cloak, yeah, you can take my cloak, you can take my shirt, just don't take my shoes or my pants, you know. And these are ways we can get around just a strict legal thing. Or we could say of the guy here uh, that I read the email in regard to, we will give him three times more the amount just because Jesus' words are taken. Literally, we should, you know, we love manipulation around here. And we have no problem with it, so we're going to bless you and do good to you so that you can be more manipulative. I mean, that's sort of... But if you just take Jesus' words in a, in a kind of wooden way without wisdom, and uh, that's where you end up. And you miss it. I mean, I think you miss it. So, in order to get it, I'm going to give you two examples. Some of you may be going out to a restaurant today uh, for lunch, so here's one for you. This is more of a hypothetical. The second one is more as a life story thing for me. But let's say you go to a restaurant, and the service is atrocious. Not only is the service atrocious, but the attitude which, with which that service comes is really stinky. Okay? So you got it here. There's, there's a waiter or a waitress who is not doing their job very well. And what do you do? What's, what's the the thing that the world would say to do. No tip, or a minimal tip. So I've, I've, I can say that I've, I've done that before, okay? It's just the norm. It's what, it's what you, that's, that's kind of like common wisdom or whatever. And um, then somehow you find out I don't, that the reason that this person, this waiter, this waitress is being so bad is because they just found out their spouse has left them. And they have financial pressures at home. And the last three tables tipped them nothing. Now what do you do? What's the opportunity? What is the opportunity for you to show the kingdom of God in that place? And bless that person. Do good to that person. Maybe pray for that person. And their life will be changed. Maybe. Maybe. That is what we're talking about here. Does that help clarify a little bit? No. We had a son who was a, a waiter. Actually, it was our son who tended to be legalistic on things. And he got to be a waiter. And boy, it's a tough deal being a waiter, waitress. You know, you come home and it's all about tips. And Anyway, if you go to lunch today, I hope I've made your lunch richer, not poorer. Yeah. So then the second story, and uh, just to be clear, if you're visiting with us, I, I like to share my failures. Uh, I, I, I do, I, I, I think it's good to share failures. And the warning on this is it's not a failure. <laughs> so I feel like I'm maybe putting myself up in a good way or something, but... Anyway, so set that aside, and the topic is, this is really kind of a weird one, but um, it was about 20 years ago, right when I was reading this book from Dallas Willard, actually, and wrestling with the Sermon on the Mount, that's what the book is all about, the Sermon on the Mount, and what to do with the words of Jesus. 
at the same time, there, my pastoral ministry, uh, I, I dealt a lot with, with men and men's issues. And at that time, and um, I'm not sure if I, what I could say is in terms of it being any better today, but at that time, pornography was just, the internet was exploding, and pornography was this huge thing that I, at least I was dealing with in the terms of helping people helping men. I had so many men come. Usually it was the wives that came first in tears and then the husband would sort of come in with his tail between his legs and i try to be helpful and redemptive and I learned a ton about stuff and how, how destructive pornography can be. And you know, I learned how much pain it could cause. I learned that I don't ever want to go there myself. We developed policies for the church. And I ended up teaching on, thing, or using that as a, you know, because the scripture says quite a bit that relates to that stuff. And this woman was in the church, uh, a single woman, and uh, uh, very, um, how do I say, uh, she, she, she was sort of outside the boundaries in a number of ways, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, once again, I don't know what, what <laughs> I don't know what to cut out here. Um, but she she would come maybe once or twice a month, and and she heard me whenever she came. I guess I must have said something about pornography and the damage that it's doing in in families. And somehow in her. This is, what I, this is what I'm trying to say about being a little outside the box, but she, she had a strong spiritual sense, but it also kind of a strong, it was kind of mixed in with her intuition, and she, her intuition was telling her that I had a problem with pornography. And the reason I know that is because another uh, woman in our church had spent time with her, and she, she had told that to that person, and then that person came and told me that, hey, she, and, you know, how did I feel? I mean, how did I feel? Now, I've got, folks, I've got problems. I got, if I read the Sermon on the Mount, I can identify a number of places where I'm way short of the standards that Jesus sets there. But I'm not, uh, pornography was not one of them, in part because I just saw how much damage it did. So, and I know it's a big deal, but I don't have that issue in my life. And I'm so thankful that I don't. And I, I pray for those who do. It's, it's really a tough one. So, uh, I, what am I going to do, though? I'm feeling this, my reputation, you know. I'm the one who's teaching. You know, just, I want you to put yourself in my shoes here. What am I going to do? And I'm hurt. My ego is bruised. And uh, pride's in there, I'm sure, but... But there's other stuff, too, I want to protect. So I, and this is a good thing to do, is to meet with a friend, and I did. And as we're in our small groups, you know, as we're going through this series, I think it's good to do things in a group if you're going to have to do something uh, instead of just, you know, sit on things. Try to do what Jesus would say. So I, I met with a friend, and I remember, you know, we were in this, te- we were, I remember wrestling with this text about what does it mean to love my enemy here? Because when I've got an enemy, this qualifies. Somebody who seems to hate me and wants to harm me. And, yeah, what do I, how do I do? How do I fire back or not fire back? And so I talked with this person. I prayed. I listened to Jesus, I believe, as best I could. And I called her up on the phone. And I said something like this. That uh, I heard, I've heard that you think that I have this issue. And 
And then I went on to tell her why this issue is important to me in terms of the destructiveness I've seen it cause in families. And um, I went on to say, you know, and it was, it was kind of an awkward conversation, let me tell you. And, uh, and I didn't get a lot from the other end. And I said, uh, she didn't deny she'd done that. And I said, look, I, 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 I'm going to forgive you. I just feel like that's the right thing to do here. I'm going to forgive you. But please don't say something that's not true. And she said, okay. <laughs> that was it. I mean, I don't know how conversations like that are supposed to end, but I was glad when it was over. I'll tell you, I bet she was too, you know. But I think I did that about as well as I could have, knowing, you know, who I am and what the issues were. And, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to be a kingdom person. I, there's a lot of other things, a lot of other ways I could have handled that. I could have gossiped about her, and there were things that I knew about her. <laughs> Didn't do that. And um, maybe that helps. Well, one other quote here. Bertrand Russell, who grew up in a Christian home uh, and became a famous atheist, and he had this to say, the Christian principle of love your enemies is good. There is nothing to be said against it except that it is too difficult for most of us to practice sincerely. And, I, you know, there's at least some truth there. This is hard stuff. And by the way, he was kind of known for, he even admitted to carrying around a lot of hatred for other people. He was not very tolerant of people. Very smart guy, though. Real smart guy. Philosopher. So you have to get back to the question, is Jesus the smartest guy ever? I believe he is. And I believe we need to pay attention to him dearly and hold on to his words with all of our strength. How do we do that? Let's go to the last point here and we'll be done. In verse 32, he says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even, and it's important here that you see the quotes, even sinners do that. You know, Jesus never, I don't think, ever uses the word sinners without quotes. What he's saying is, even the people that you call the worst do that. Even the mafia loves those who love them. Even the Nazis, even the communists, even those politicians in Washington, D.C., they love those who love them. The first century uh, history, um, sociological history, it's called patronage. And there's this honor and shame game that was being played. And uh, the temptation would be for us to be to think that we don't ever do that anymore. But here's how it works. I will, let's just take Jesus' words here. I will do good to you, and I will bless you, and I will pray for you. And because I did that, you're indebted to me. And there'll come a day where I will cash in my chips and I will rise up in the eyes of society. The whole first century Roman, the world that Jesus is living in is based on that patronage principle. And it, it, it's, it's the way of the world. Now, does that ever, how, like where you work, does that, how does that sound? I'll do good to you but 
I expect a pay raise. Or, you know, it's just, this is just it's normal to life. Or if you have politics in your workplace, which I don't know any that don't, you're going to have some of this stuff going on. And Jesus says, I have a different way than that. And, um, and we find that in verse 35. He says, when you, uh, when, if you do things my way, then your reward will be great. If you love your enemies, if you love those who don't do good to you, who don't do the things that you want them to do for you, who want to hurt you, if you love them, your reward will be great, and you will be sons or you will be children of the Most High. Because he is, now listen to this. Now he's speaking to his disciples here. The ones he just said, even sinners do that with quotes on the sinners. But here he says, you'll be children of the Most High, meaning you'll be children of God if you do things my way, if you love your enemies. Because God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He's telling his disciples that they're children of God who are loved and they're ungrateful and wicked. He's telling us, we like to talk about sinners, and he's telling us that we're ungrateful and wicked. And that, that's where the, the, the thing really gets hot. You either say, no, I'm not, or you say, yes, I am, and I am so amazed that God is so kind to me and his love to me, and I am so lost and I am so loved at the same time. And it's that spontaneous thing of being lost in love, being wicked, and being on the receiving end of kindness that does something in your heart and you realize because the last line here is be merciful as your father in heaven is merciful your father in heaven loves his enemies he loves you you are or were an enemy be merciful to others love your enemies okay do you remember earlier I said do you, know, do you have any enemies do you have any enemies somebody who wants to do harm to you and somebody who wishes you ill will, would, I'm going to give you the opportunity to drain that ill will for all of us to do that together out right now. And let's just let's pray a prayer. So if you think about who might be your enemy, it could be a I mean, sibling rivalry counts. Okay. That's a, an old one. But uh, there's lots of work, neighborhoods, Think of who your enemy might be, and we're going to pray together. Who are my enemies? Oh, merciful God, who is kind to ungrateful and wicked people, and we're ashamed to say it, but it's in that being ashamed that we find life. We're ashamed to say it. That's us. People like us. People so lost and so loved at the same time. Who are those people, Lord, that you have placed in my life? How can I love them when they want harm for me? 
show me, oh God, show me what it means to be good to them, to bless them, and to pray for them. To absorb shame for their sake. And God, we don't need, need, just need your example, although we're grateful for that. We need you in our hearts, functioning out of your mercy for people like us. So we pray for that now. Jesus, come in, enter in to those places of the heart. Drain us of the ill will that we feel. Drain us of the hurt that comes from being attacked in our reputation, from being slandered, whatever it is. Drain us, Lord, and replace that with mercy, love, grace, that we might be children of the kingdom. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.